This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're back with Star Trek Picard, Episode 4, Absolute Candor. And true fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, this is TV Podcast Industries, and we're back with Star Trek Picard, Episode 4, Absolute Candor. My name is Derek, one of your hosts. Joland, true fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, I am one of your other hosts, John. And our third host, Chris, has beamed off uh, planet Earth <laughs> into uh, a, a business trip. Well, kind of. Kind of. of. So it's just the two of us this time. It certainly is. So That's fun. We've done this before. Exactly. Quite a few times. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, remember, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, uh, you can catch our podcast on any Federation or Romulan supporting podcast player. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, you name it. You can head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and you can choose the podcast catcher of your choice to listen to our Star Trek Picard. And of course, over there, you can also, if you want to leave voicemail feedback in any way, you can go on there and leave up to 90 seconds of your dulcet tones using the right-hand side tab on the website. And if you've only been listening to us for the Star Trek Picard podcast on its own feed, if you go over to the TV Podcast Industries feed, we've actually done uh, another podcast this week. We covered Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of one harleen quinzel um i think is the new name for it <laughs> no the new name for it is harley quinn birds of prey they've shortened it down a bit but it is nowhere near as exciting uh that title That's as far true. as i'm concerned yeah, fantabulous uh what a great word to use <laughs> in a film title definitely i did see comments uh, as to how, how that actually got through the full writing process from the stars it's one of those ones that somebody writes at the top of their page when they're writing their first script and people are shocked that it made it to the cinema under that name uh, but it's a really good fun film uh, if you want to hear something else that we're covering uh, check us out over on tvpodcastindustries.com and you'll get that podcast but without chris here let's get into the details of this episode john yes the episode was written by Michael Chabon again. I noticed something in this episode. Am I being really stupid that I didn't notice that the character Chabon is kind of pronounced quite similar to the writer of the show, <laughs> Michael Chabon? Um, do you think he kind of typed? I think the he may have him? tweaked it just a little. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> but this episode brings back one of the favorites of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, it is directed by Jonathan Frakes. He played First Officer Will Riker on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Directed many episodes of that show and most of the Star Trek series after that uh, did two Star Trek movies including First Contact and Insurrection and this is the first of two episodes that he's directed this season on Picard nice to have Jonathan Frakes back in the fold definitely uh, he is our number one director mm -hmm. of course he is uh, great to see him and uh, that photo you showed just before as well uh, which is really nice of him and uh, Patrick Stewart just having a little bit of a giggle and a laugh on set uh, as Jonathan Frakes is wearing the man from Del Monte hat <laughs> and suit that he has put 
Patrick Stewart in at the start of this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They said we're really enjoying themselves on set. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to put that up, uh, on the website just so that everyone can have a gander. But it's a nice little shot. You, you realize how much of a a group, uh, the next generation cast were, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They really did seem like a family by the end of that show, didn't they? I'll put the, uh, the photograph up on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com slash Picard Candor, I think I've called this episode. So, uh, so check that out on the webpage there and you'll see the photograph. John, do you want to give us the synopsis for this episode? Sure. The crew's journey to Free Cloud takes a detour when Picard orders a stop at the planet Vashti, where Picard and Raffi relocated Romulan refugees 14 years earlier. Upon arrival, Picard reunites with Elnor, a young Romulan he befriended during the relocation. Meanwhile, Narek continues his attempts to learn more about Soji, while Nerissa's impatience with his lack of progress grows. Grows into strangulation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was that about? I was kind of thinking, is she trying to kill him here, or is this just kind of fur warning? I think she's willing to, I think, is, is where, where it goes to. I really like this character. She's such a good villainess. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, we've mentioned before about Peyton List working on Gotham and playing the character of Poison Ivy on there, not getting a huge amount of time on screen uh, in that show, but here you can really tell she's amping up the villainess. She's really, really good. Yeah, really good. I mean, I was wondering whether it was kind of part of the Romulan species that siblings might have this kind of strangulation sort of... <laughs> sort of back and forth between themselves you yeah. know a bit like you know as kids fighting with your older brother or something well, maybe like that. yeah and it's, it's quite similar to that i'm not sure whether i've ever tried to strangle any any of my four older brothers well no likewise to. but uh <laughs> certainly as well my sisters never wore um sort of very tight cat suits <laughs> sexy cat suits and yeah. wake you up in your bed no exactly <laughs> thank the lord true true <laughs> let's get on to our main points for the episode we break this out into our biggest moment our prime directive our medium moment is our Omega Directive, and our final moment is our Make It So number one. We must face the ramifications of the Prime Directive. John, do you want to give us your Prime Directive? Yes, I do. It is the Quowit Milat, the this new Romulan society, uh, cult, sect, creed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I really enjoyed finding more about the Romulan uh, sort of society here in, in this show. They're, they're one of my kind of favorite villains, I suppose. Oh, and yeah, I um, it was great sort of learning about this Chad Vash, this kind of old cabal um, that's even kind of more secretive, more underground. They're kind of like the Romulan version of the Illuminati, right. you know, in that sense. They're kind of operating behind the scenes. And we get to a, a new... Um, group here, new cabal, and I think what I really like about it is just how it adds so much texture and different layers to Romulan society. You know, mm. normally it was the you know the Romulans were the shoulder pads with the the pointy hair, um, and you know just pure evil. But I really liked um seeing this group of female nuns and only the the these this sect of nuns. They're called assassins, mm-hmm. um, but only females can become these assassins. And they practice this way of absolute candor, mm-hmm. which um, is effectively where they really don't allow emotions and intellect. They don't put a barrier down between them. They allow it all to be very candid about what they they say, which is absolutely going against the grain of 
the the main thrust of Romulan society. Mm. Um, and well, Romulan society is massively secretive, and that they don't like telling anybody anything. Exactly. Um, this feels very like a complete opposite to the Vulcans, who maintain this barrier between their emotions and what what they say at all times. Their emotions can't affect what they say at all. Whereas this society, they specifically will always tell you exactly what they're thinking. Um, I, there's a really nice uh, moment where they show that with Elnor, where he says. My feelings are hurt to Captain Picard instantly. He tells him exactly what's going on in his head the second it happens. And you you realize from Picard, this could be very difficult if you were having this kind of conversations all the time. You know, you you realize just from the reaction from Patrick Stewart in that moment, you realize it could be massively difficult if everybody went around telling you exactly how their emotions are affected by everything you say at all times, you know? No, absolutely. I I mean, I just just thought it was really... Uh, kind of nicely done you know we're, we're we're on this planet Vashti it's a former Romulan relocation hub from mm. the supernova so we see Picard there 14 years previously uh, but I, I it's just I think the other thing I really liked you know you kind of got a very different view of the Romulan society everyone seemed happy very light-hearted there 14 years ago now it's changed in that time period but um, and we'll come on to that a bit later in one of your points. But I think um, I really just enjoy exploring these really well-known groupings and, and species through the the Star Trek universe, mm-hmm. you know, from the, you know, with Romulans in this case with Picard, but also with Discovery with the, the Klingons as well. Mm-hmm. And, and just layering and texturizing these species and um, you know I, I thought it was interesting to see sort of people of many different kind of races of romulan yeah. that you saw uh, on vashti as they were being relocated mm-hmm. i think importantly though the kuwait malat are sworn enemies of the tal shiar mm-hmm. i suppose they are the polar opposite um, and that's really kind of nice here because of picard's coming back 14 years later um you know having to take this detour effectively or asking for this detour to stop at vashti in order that he can see if the the nuns and the the kuwait malat will bind their sword to his cause and mm-hmm. um, of which is one criterion required that it is a worthy cause and i like that by the end of it that criterion um of worthy is that it is a hopeless cause and <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of like okay so they are they really like to set themselves a challenge then uh-huh. but effectively they are um you know very well-trained fighters mm-hmm. and assassins, uh, and we get some good evidence of that. And they'll only help people who cannot possibly do the job themselves, basically. I love the reaction from Dr. Gerardi in the background when she hears that this is a hopeless cause, that she's gone out into space <laughs> on this mission that's absolutely hopeless. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think what I like with this kind of detour from uh, On the Way to Free Cloud is... I think there's again, it's that real pathos that you get from uh, Patrick Stewart here, uh, and I, I like that moment where Rafi is trying to really dissuade him from going here. And mm-hmm. um, she knows that he has that relationship. He knows this was the 
the the place where he learns about the attack on Mars and where his his big grand plan um, effectively falls apart yeah. in terms of rescuing and um, saving different planets that would be caught in the supernova mm. that are in the Romulan Empire. And he, he just turns around and he says, I may never pass this way again. Yeah. I just thought that was really nicely done because I really did get a sense here of the age of Picard in, in this episode, mm-hmm. even when he's there on Vashti, um, you know, in in the flashback, effectively, yeah. 14 years previously, he's there in that kind of Panama hat, looking like the man from Del Monte, <laughs> um, which for fellow Trekkies and Trekkers, it was an advert on, on television back in the 80s for tinned pineapple yeah. and tinned peaches. And it was that only the man from Del Monte would say yes to the best for the best quality mm. peaches to be tinned. Um, so, yes. <laughs> Strange things happen in the world of TV podcast industries. I don't know whether that makes more sense or less sense to you. I know, <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, it's uh, just a strange connection. But yep. the man from Del Monte wore that kind of Panama hat mm-hmm. and pale suit. But I, I think it really aged Patrick Stewart, that that outfit, that, that costume mm-hmm. choice. Um, but I kind of quite liked it because... He is 94 in this show. You know, Picard is 94. He's in his 90s. And I kind of liked it. And I I think what was really interesting was just how it contrasted with Elnor, actually. Mm -hmm. So the the vigor, tempestuousness of youth, um, as opposed to the the sageness of old age from from, uh, Jean-Luc Picard. So I I think, yes, the Kuwait Molasse is my big thing because I just love how this show is delving into the world uh, of the Romulans. And I I can't wait to see this hopeless cause up against the Tal Shiar, maybe something even worse in the Chad Vash. Mm -hmm. Uh, We still don't know that yet, but um, with one of their sworn enemies, the Kuwait Malat. It's just... I'm enjoying it. All of a sudden, the Romulan... Uh, world feels like it's just exploded in in the mouth kind of thing it's like tastes and and sensations oh i agree with you and and it it is something the show can do and something that discovery took full advantage of doing this idea that you know originally when some of these characters were created and some of these species were created many many years ago it was kind of put them in a makeup trailer, make them up to look like this kind of character, and then we'll give them a backstory as we go along. Whereas now they're able to realistically say, you're talking about, you know, 900 million people in a universe. Well, they're not all, all going to be the same color, and they're not all going to have the same skin type, and they're not all going to have the same haircut, you know? So I like that you're able to, just in a very small scene like this, you're able to show that there would be differences uh, among many planets and many, uh, even just one side of the planet or the other, there's massive differences. So I like that they're doing that in this series. Uh, and it's nice to see more of a such a secretive society like the Romulans. You know, there's so much going on there. And you get the impression that no information got out from there that didn't didn't pass through the High Council effectively. So um, it went through the, the Tal Shiar and they blocked any information at all about the society. So suddenly these big reveals about what type of um, groups were in the Romulan world uh, do come as kind of surprise because we've never seen them before at all. So it's kind of nice seeing those extra details beyond what we've seen before. I agree with him. No, I, I definitely agree. And it's also just to note that uh, Elnor 
is now a, another companion on the ever-growing roster of Picard's mm-hmm. hopeless cause. Uh, and so this is another one of the characters at the premiere who's now been introduced uh, here, just so, <laughs> yes. you know, it, this is a full-on character within the Picard show. Yes, played by Evan Evangoria. He was so thankful to be on this show. It was, it was really sweet, actually, when he was in front of the audience saying how much he appreciated being on the show. He is a very young guy himself, um, and I hadn't seen him in anything before this. I think he's been in a few things, but I hadn't seen him in anything before this. And he, he has that kind of innocent look about him early on in the in the episode. So, it, as you say, it would be a really nice interplay between uh, him and, and and Jean-Luc, you know, to see the massive difference in their in their age and how they approach things. It'll be interesting to see the two of them together. Well, it, and it's that kind of father-son relationship yeah. that Picard had 14 years ago uh, as he was relocating the yeah. Romulan. So it's an interesting dynamic for Jean-Luc Picard whilst on an adventure. Yeah, definitely. And I did find that really interesting that we had that moment with Picard where you're seeing him almost as a family man that moment earlier on when he's seeing uh, Elnor for the first time um and he's truly saying to him I do like you as a person I think that that we have a good friendship and a good relationship yes I have a reputation for not liking children but I've come to respect you and come to come to like you I think that's a, a nice change in Picard because it is something that people who have watched the next generation know there are uh, episodes where they talk about him not liking any children at all they've talked about that before so it's a nice development of the character saying that he is open to anybody, definitely you know, yeah he's open to making any kind of friendship with anybody so again yeah. the softening with age and, and the 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 wise Picard mm-hmm. as you know he even though he said that, he always appreciated, yeah. um, you know, Wesley and all the kids as well on Picard Day when they just celebrated him being him, I exactly. suppose, uh, <laughs> and being the captain of, of the ship. Yeah, everybody loves to have a day celebrated for them, don't they? So, Derek, what's your prime directive? I'm also speaking about the planet Vashti as well. I just think seeing this planet 14 years after Starfleet pulled out of the rescue effort and what's happened to the Romulans since uh, that were left behind... Um, I think it's really important to to show that on the show. They've kind of mentioned it offhandedly a few times about that Picard had this massive mission to save as many people as he possibly could. It's an insurmountable mission. It's something that could never possibly work when you have millions and billions of people uh, need to be evacuated. It could never have ended with everybody being saved, which is something that Picard wouldn't have ever given up on in the past. And him being made to give up on it, especially after promising these people that he would come back and help them and save them. He promised that he would find a new home for Elnor, for example. Uh, He promised the people that he would be back to visit them. And knowing here that we see him coming back 14 years later, having not been able to do anything and the changes that have happened to this really well put together refugee station for these people. You know, it was a new planet where everybody was moving to for the first time. And what we see is that they've changed. They've started to um, have signs up saying Romulans only on uh, in restaurants, that kind of stuff. So they've clearly moved to being very different people. It kind of reminded me very slightly of um, The Wrath of Khan. Do you remember the kind of storyline in, in Star Trek The Wrath of Khan where Khan had been put on a planet uh, back in the original series and 20 or 30 years later they come back to the planet and find it was devastated by, uh, by a massive... Um, natural disaster and Kirk had thought that he'd done the right thing by these people by leaving them a place to live but had never checked back in on them and turned out that the, that a disaster had struck killing uh, many of them so yeah I kind of like that the, the relationship between that Picard's going through something similar is hopeful 
that they were left in a place that was being protected, but he didn't check in to see whether this was still a safe place for them. Um, we hear from Rios when he's coming back that the people who were responsible for taking care of it, the Fenris Rangers, could no longer protect the territory and they've kind of pulled back. So, um, so they're kind of defenseless as well as everything else. They've got this massive defense grid around their, <laughs> around their planet, of course, but they're, they don't, aren't as protected as Picard would have liked. So we're led to this, I suppose, a big speech moment from Picard, as Mid mentioned earlier on in the season, that Picard is well known for his speeches and he has his moment where he's able to apologize to the people there for everything they've gone through. He's saying that he failed them and the results for them is terrible pain and loss. And he genuinely apologizes to them because he never expected to be leaving them behind for the last time 14 years ago. And it comes across quite well with the with the people that are there and people that are there to hear it. But I am sure for the previous 14 years, there are people there, um, some of them now headless, um, who have blamed him for the lo- their loss in life, you know? Yeah, I, I, I really like this. I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if there's people out there that think the show is actually undermining Jean-Luc Picard um, from the next generation in, in terms of just... You know, he had the moment with the uh, Admiral Clancy where she basically tells him to to F off. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've kind of got the moment with Raffi and now you have this kind of humble pie of um, Picard here on Vashti. But, I mean, I don't think of it like that. I actually just think it's really, really good. And I, I think it just shows that he's human. Yeah. It shows that he has error. Um, and even Jean-Luc talks about how in trying to be perfect it was the enemy of good and mm. um, that he tried to be perfect because that's a meticulous and so precise in everything he's done and we know that from the next generation that was his way of doing things yeah being organized making sure everything was was right and in trying to do that here he couldn't save as many people as he would have liked to because it took longer to do and then but in in that moment you know there's the attack on mars the banning of the synths and 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 the the pulling of the plug of this relief and rescue effort by Mm -hmm. by the federation and i i like that he is having to combat those because i think you know he is the he is an older guy in this, and it's about him combating his past yeah. and his past mistakes. And I really like that. And I, as as you say, I, I think the the speech that he gives in that square um, is is really really nicely done. And of course, you know he's being challenged here. We have uh, an old senator from the the Romulan. Uh, high council uh, and the the empire sort of challenging him saying you don't know who i am but you know when we were doubting ourselves at the most you came in gave your fine speech mm-hmm. uh, and made us doubt ourselves even more yeah. that and that about our own ingenuity mm-hmm. we were spread around the galaxy uh, we were dissipated we were weakened by you know so he sees this as as a federation strategy and ploy yeah. to kind of weaken the romulan empire for picard he sees himself as a humanitarian uh, and that it's not that and i i think that's a really interesting sort of battle between the the romulan senator here uh, and and picard mm-hmm. and, and ultimately it ends up with uh, a, a nice sword fight yeah 
absolutely. <laughs> and he's lost his head. Um, yeah, and it, do, it does kind of add to the theory. You know, it, it's it's one of those ones where it needed to be said by somebody, some character on uh, on the show who is a Romulan, needed to be very clear about why some Romulans don't agree with what the Federation did by evacuating all of the Romulan planets. Uh, it need you needed to have that voiced by a character in the show. I think at this stage, we're four episodes in now, and we don't really understand why the uh, Romulans could have been responsible for the attack on Mars, for example. Uh, but I think this makes it clear that not every Romulan was massively happy about being evacuated from their space by the Federation because they thought it was a plot. They thought it was a plot to um, to get information from them and to break up a very strong race, effectively. So, uh, so I kind of like that it was voiced in here as well. But we do get Elnor to the rescue mm-hmm. as well in the sword fight yep. uh, because actually Picard is refusing to partake in that sword fight mm-hmm. um and, and i do like his entrance coming in and taking out two of the henchmen and then effectively slicing the head off the romulan senator i think what's really funny though is just the fact that because elnor is not federation because rios is not federation zaban and loris um, aren't Federation and even those people who were like Rios uh, like Rafi are kind of ex-Starfleet yeah. um, and so they're kind of quite happy if needs be uh, to kill people mm-hmm. um, and it's just a face on Picard he's kind of like would people just stop killing people <laughs> in my presence I'm a former Federation Admiral um, I we don't approve of killing. It's mm-hmm. where's the stun setting exactly. on your sword kind of thing. It, <laughs> I really like that. It was, yeah. it, it, it's kind of, again, it, it, it's, it's those two ideas buttressing up against one another and really not giving too much space to one another. You know, the, in, in a sense, the, the humanitarian peacekeeper of Picard who only uses force as a last resort. Yeah. And even then, it's not necessarily kill force with someone like Elnor, who is a trained fighter and assassin who, you know, first thing he does is whip out his sword and, and slices off uh, the head of the guy attacking Picard. Mm-hmm. So, I like that. And it feels like he was going into a threat to everybody else there that Picard's now under his protection. So if anybody challenges him, this is what they'll get kind of thing, you know. But then Uh, the other, yeah, exactly. But then the other two come up and say, well, you may have a sword, but that isn't going to stop this blaster Mm -hmm. as as they pull out a Romulan blaster. But luckily, they do get uh, teleported to safety. Exactly, exactly. And I like that Picard admonishes him with, um, I will tell you when to fight and when to refrain. It sounds, it just sounds like a very uh, strict guidance that Elnor is getting from uh, from Picard, which is, you know, that's going to be the interesting thing about the character as we go on, of course. That's it for my Prime Directive point. I think it's time to get on to our next one. Implement the Omega Directive immediately. John, what's your Omega Directive? From one sword fight to a larger spaceship fight in the orbit of of vashti i I really liked uh this you know we've finally gotten a a a bit of laser action Mm -hmm. photon torpedoes going on uh with this uh fight between the romulan bird of prey that is um presumably this can candor who is this guy going around the quiris sector um sort of effectively causing chaos yeah sort of attacking worlds, subjugating people, uh, 
pillaging you know he's kind of like the the space equivalent of vikings and right. and so i i presume it's his bird of prey yeah. uh, and the fight between this bird of prey and the la serena and um, the the ship uh, that is captained by uh rios which is nice we finally get its name or at least the, I, it's the first time i've noticed its name yeah even though it was from the credits and, and not from the actual show yeah I had I had only seen it in I think one of the show's descriptions um, earlier on today, but uh, but I I think I don't think it had had popped up on any of the uh, information that we see that we'd seen in the past. But the siren is the name of the uh, the name of the ship, La Serena. So, yeah, but um, so quite cool. But this was a, a cool little um, sort of dogfight mm-hmm. in in space, and and the the bird of prey, the Romulan bird of prey. Uh, it did, you know, they said it was a kind of a reclaimed older model and it certainly looks nothing like the, the bird of prey ships from the next generation. Oh, yeah. Um, at all. It, it actually, I think the thing that I liked about it was it almost had a similar look to, um, a Starfleet ship in, in that it had the wings and then you had the um the wings have the engines at the end so it kind of felt like it was a similar not the same design but yeah. of that kind of design as the starfleet mm-hmm. um and i thought that was kind of quite good really so the design is the the one that was used for the original series yeah exactly yeah classes, so yeah. it's really so when they say when they say it's an old ship they're very much saying it's an ancient ship <laughs> it's like if you think this is old we're talking like a hundred years old this thing has been traveling around the galaxy you know i've seen some clanker cars around but they're usually not more than 20 years old <laughs> this one's ancient so uh nice little uh, nice little callback i suppose to the original series. yeah it, it is i mean I remember them from the the original series, mm-hmm. and it's nice to go back to that. But it's certainly nowhere near the the next generation kind of design of, of this. Uh, but I, I really like the fight because I, I like the, the this planetary shield that, even though it's primitive, um, it's still effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the same with the bird of prey. You know that the lasers are quite primitive, quite old, but yet you know. We get the great voice of Shields at 89%. You know, that percentage is starting to trip down, mm. which was a nice little callback to the original series. Um, and, and even just, you know, some of the actions. I, I love the kind of virtual controls that Rios is using yeah, to maneuver it. Really nicely done. But I, I like the fact that the the bird of prey is almost pushing la serena um towards this planetary grid which if you break it then you have about a thousand sort of kill probes being launched at you mm-hmm. and it, it is literally you're going to be toast and it kind of reminded me of Kral's swarm drones from Star Trek Beyond, where it attacks uh, the Enterprise and, and forces it to crash land on, on the planet uh, that they've gone to check out uh, in this, you know, nebula. Um, and I was kind of expecting something like that to to kind of start swarming from the the planetary defense shield. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, you don't want to destroy the ship and send it to your planet. <laughs> no, exactly. But but then ultimately, the La Serena gets a. A, a ally in the form of an unknown ship and pilot that comes whizzing through mm-hmm. um, to help clip one of the bird's wings, which I thought was really, really good. Yeah. yeah. You know, the reason why they're using a bird of prey versus La Serena is because La Serena clearly isn't a warship. 
by any means. They, they have very little tactical capability as well. So, um, so the idea here is you can't put them up against any kind of normal, uh, regular fighting ship at all because they would just be destroyed in an instant. So, um, so I like that they're, as you say, the shields are going down in the battle. And then when this other ship arrives, that, um, that's the one that's really taking on, uh, the Roman and Bird of Prey. You know, that's the one that's really in the fight. And if it hadn't have turned up, possibly their mission could have ended very quickly you know? yeah definitely but i i presume as well then it is r.i.p uh can canter uh who unfortunately we never got to see on screen but mm-hmm. i i just like the menace that he was given uh in terms of moving the 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 queerest sector with vashti in it yeah. from being something that was actually quite settled when picard was relocating the romulans to one where actually it's turned a bit like the Wild West. Exactly. Um, and, and this planetary shield is almost like the saloon doors that are kind of <laughs> locked and bolted for this planet uh, to prevent this marauding old bird of prey mm-hmm. and Can Cantor. So, uh, yes, RIP Can Cantor, uh, a villain we'll never get to see. You know, I was I was really impressed. They they have a a, a website, a Wikipedia page, effectively dedicated to just Star Trek uh, information, and they already had details up of Can Cantor uh, and who it is, um, and the character and all that kind of stuff. But all the all the details are taken from this episode, and because you don't see the character at all, it's just written as they were <laughs> they were a captain of a Romulan warbird that had been around for quite a long time <laughs> and that's all they had that that's who can candor is <laughs> excellent stuff there you go um thank you very much john because uh, your point directly led into my medium point for the episode it, this should normally be a small point the appearance of a character should be a small point but it's just a, such a massive character that it makes it right into my medium point my omega directive the arrival of seven of nine jerry ryan back on board a starship is just such a great moment you know i like that they're in the middle of this battle here and they're saying to each other can we possibly beam this person on board their ship's about to collapse it's about to fall apart and they and then suddenly they start referring to that would be very dangerous what if he's uh, going to kill us what if what if he attacks us and then of course it's seven that arrives it's not uh, what they thought at all it's someone that knows them already and her only line that we get in this episode is Picard, you owe me a ship. <laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So it tells you that there is some difference already, just even in that one line, you can tell there's some difference in the seven that we saw at the end of Star Trek Voyager uh, as that show finished up. Um, also interesting to note, you know, I guess, having returned from a different quadrant back to Earth uh, at the end of, of that series of the show, um, it will probably make you quite well known around the world. So it's not a massive surprise that Picard knows her by name instantly when he sees her. He calls her 07 of 9. Um, but I'm interested to see if there's any kind of history between them that we might see in flashbacks uh, as the episodes go on. Any idea? What do you think, John? I'm really hoping that that's the case because I've really enjoyed these... 14 year previously openings to star trek picard i've enjoyed that backstory and seeing him uh you know and the the attack on mars and him helping the romulans and um his you know his dealings with starfleet when everything gets pulled and you know even with um his moment here on Vashti, uh, at you know 14 years earlier and the Mm -hmm. connections he made there And, and so 
I, I really hope we get a, a fourteen year, pre, fourteen years previously, uh, and it, it's to do with him and Seven of Nine, mm. uh, and maybe some role that she had in helping um, Picard, or maybe it's even uh, further back. Uh, who knows? But I, I've really enjoyed those. I think they're a nice little element at the start of these episodes yeah and um so i hope we get some kind of uh sort of backstory as to how these two know one another yeah uh, oh, uh, we may not of course but it would be nice yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm also hopeful that we're going to get some kind of background detail and presume this is what we're going to get next episode but um why is seven of nine out here why is she fighting this fight is she a member of the Fenris Rangers? Is she their, the last hope that's left behind to protect this planet? You know, um, so I'm also intrigued because we knew that Seven was coming back on the show and I had assumed that her connection to the show would be that she's on the Borg cube. Yeah. Um, and she had some connection to that, but she's miles away from that. But if Picard happens to be swinging past the Borg cube after they go to a free cloud, you never know. Um, Seven might be on board since she doesn't have a ship anymore. Well, definitely. <laughs> I, I think in, in the battle, um, she gets hit then by the bird of prey. It's kind of last gasp, um, laser shot that mm. it, it takes to, to take revenge. And they, they beam her out of that, but they don't know who it is. And I, I do like that, uh, Elnor is there with sword drawn. You know, mm-hmm. Picard says, you know, now's the time to fight, possibly. Yes. Um, don't take the head off immediately <laughs> but don't take yeah exactly don't take the head off immediately um, and just having her materialize on the deck of la serena uh, was great mm-hmm. it's almost as big as the engage moment at the end yeah it's absolutely it? <laughs> just it's so good and do you know i'm actually really pleased that she's not on the borg ship because it's like with Huey, it's kind of like Huey I really enjoyed seeing, but then knowing they had become a Romulan, effectively, or working for the right. Romulans, and I was like going, okay, so yeah, there's some kind of bad blood going to happen mm-hmm. when uh, him and Picard finally uh, meet. But I, I just felt that that would be beneath Seven of Nine. Right. And, and so the fact that she is some kind of freedom fighter or she's you know, protecting the the planets of this sector, um, I think is a great thing. Um, it's a, it's a, it's you know, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. I think. Yep, definitely. I'm looking forward to more battles with Seven in the future. Let's get on to our final small point um, for this episode. Make it so, number one. John, make it so. Yes, my number one or my small point uh, is I love Doctor Gerati's realization on space travel. It's long and it's boring. Um, <laughs> she's just kind of like bored off a tree. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's interrupting she's, um, Rios, who, who's reading his tragic novel, which then becomes just a conversation killer. As he says, it's about the existential view of living life with the conscious uh, knowledge of your own death. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. Um, if I were her, I would get myself to the hospitality hologram and just get a bar put up or something <laughs> like that. Or maybe a virtual golf course, who knows, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but I, I, I like this. I like the fact that she's just going, yeah, space travel's not what I thought it would be. And it's probably exactly how we all would think of it. Mm-hmm. You know, this idea that it takes however long to just get to the moon under a normal space shuttle. Yeah. Um, 
you, this idea of going, you know, sort of into system, uh, into kind of galaxy is just like, or sector is, yeah, I, I really like that. But I also then on top of that, you know, Dr. Jurati is kind of doing a bit of stream of consciousness here. Mm-hmm. And it's also the revelation that maybe the term space, the name is, is not really that great when you, Consider that it's filled with over one trillion stars <laughs> and planets within just our own galaxy, mm-hmm. and there then are two trillion galaxies within the universe, and and all this. So it it should actually be called filled with a lot of stuff, <laughs> kind of thing. And I, I I thought that was just really good. I, it was just a small moment, but you know, I, I think. So far, Dr. Dratty, it has kind of just, it's been a bit arm's length with her. You know, she, she's been there to, um, just talk about sort of synthetic life and the technology. Yeah. She, you know, she's been that window into that really, uh, at the Daystrom Institute, but that, um, I, I like that we just kind of got this moment where she's kind of become, you know, it's taking so long to get to free cloud yeah. that, She's already caught up on two years worth of some scientific journal art, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, she's kind of going slightly crazy, I she's reckon. Going stirker, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I think it also underlines the fact that these are, this isn't the standard uh, Star Trek TV show, which most of them now, at least, have been named after the ships. Um, that are in there you know Deep Space Nine was a station all the rest of them are pretty much named after ships this is the first one named after a person and the characters that are on board here are not people that generally would travel together the reason why the crew of the Enterprise don't get bored as they're traveling long distances because they're working aboard effectively a submarine in space everybody has a job to do and when they're not doing a job they're resting because they need to get up the following day and go to work and do the next job Girati's basically a passenger here waiting to do something when she gets to her destination so very different from anything we've seen in Star Trek before. So I kind of like the idea that she's going completely stir crazy here going, anybody have anything to do? Anybody going to talk to me about anything, anything at all? (laughs) Why didn't she bring more work with her uh, to work on board the ship while she was going, you know, but I like that little joke of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. It it was just a nice little kind of moment with her. And I want to see her a bit more. I think, Mm -hmm. Uh, I think she might ultimately be a bit evil. Uh, She might be (laughs) a bad person in this. uh, What with um, Commodore O uh we don't quite know whether there's been a deal with the devil there with um Jurati and and for what reason maybe that she can continue then back working on synthetic research maybe or also, maybe to save Bruce Maddox potentially their relationship hasn't really been explored much and um, this person that everybody's chasing down everybody's trying to find you know they they did work together in the past we know that so maybe she has uh, some kind of connection with him as a character um maybe that's the reason yeah. So, Derek, what is your uh, make it so number one small point? <laughs> uh, the little point I want to talk about is just something that I thought stood out like a sore thumb in the episode as being it just felt off in the episode. The dance moment with Narek and Soji um, <laughs> when Narek shows her how to do a floor slide across the floor of the Borg ship as if it's some kind of tradition from the Borg. Obviously, that's the gag. I understand it. Um, but it stands out so much as to why it's in there because it feels so odd it doesn't it feels something that doesn't belong in this show that there must be a reason it's in there right so i was wondering if in his way of trying to get in at soji is he trying to form a memory for soji that she couldn't possibly have had programmed by a computer 
Is that what it is? It's such an odd, weird moment that would stand out to her as being different from the programming that he's talking about being made up. You know, he mentions to her just beforehand that she was said to have been on board a certain ship at a certain on a certain date, traveling to a certain place, and he's looked up the ship and knows she definitely wasn't on board that. So he knows all of her background information is faked. So is he doing this very weird thing with her because it's something that would stand out as being completely different to all of the experiences that were programmed into her? That's the only rationale I could come up with. Yeah, I mean, that that's... I think that's a good way of justifying something that, yes, it felt a little uncomfortable. It was almost a bit the Harry Potter and Hermione Granger moment from the last uh, Harry Potter movie. Oh, yeah, you hated that, didn't you? I, yeah, where they start dancing mm. in the tent. And I don't know, and maybe it's just me that my first thought in a particular situation would not be to dance mm -hmm. in order to relieve the tension or the fear or, or whatever. Yeah, it seemed a little kind of odd. So I'm definitely with you there. It just was like, I don't know why interpretive dance is being used here uh, for, for these two characters um, at all. Well, it is the Valentine's Day episode, so somebody I, had to... I suppose so. Yeah, okay. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of preferred most of the stuff around this, as you say, mm. with Narek. Try, and that's why I think your theory probably is is the good one of trying to sort of get her almost to disrupt her own memories yeah. by giving her real ones. Uh, and we get that moment with, with Narek and Nerissa at the end where she, he says, I've planted the first seed of doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and she's kind of like, hurry up and keep planting those seeds you know you've got a week I'll leave so here with your seed for yeah. The week, yeah so maybe it's that it is connected uh with that for sure so yeah it just seemed odd really mm -hmm. um but I, I like your theory to try and cover up the oddness <laughs> i had to come up with something I, I did like a lot of the investigation that's going on with soji where she's looking into the background of ramden watching tv programs and interviews with her so she can understand what was going on in her mind uh, before what happened and i am really intrigued about why it is that um these romulans were the last to be assimilated by the ship and why all of them seem to have gone slightly crazy um after being pulled back out of of being borg um i have a theory about that one as well you mean you mean around ronda and that almost tv interview that she was doing kind of yeah more about the actual reason why the romulans might be the ones that are having major problems um, with coming back out from being Borg. Um, so the Borg are a species of organic life with pieces of computers attached to them or pieces of, yeah. uh, of futuristic technology, we'll say, attached to them. But they've been around for millennia, like most people in the universe. Is it possible that early Romulans were the ones that's created Borg and the reason why we have the Shatvash being so against all types of um, synthetic life is because they once battled against the Borg. Great theory. And yeah. I really like that, Derek. Yeah. I, that, that would put a really nice spin on it mm. and, and it could be absolutely. I mean, the idea that it were Romulans who, effectively created the borg but that might be why and again just the sensibility of then modern romulans which is anti 
technology mm-hmm. that is um in a sense living that you know an, an android a synthetic uh android uh rather than just simply a piece of technology so just a a quick recap that the romulans we discover in the first couple of episodes they don't have a problem with technology it's to do with almost sentient synthetic living organisms like data and presumably like something like the borg Mm. i like that because I think as well, I can say, I hope that they make it so, number one. <laughs> exactly. And I'm wondering if that's what's driving some of the Romulans mad as they're getting removed from the Borg Collective. Is it because they've seen that this was their past? No, Nobody is aware that these are the people that created the Borg um, or even just are the Borg. You know, one side of the Romulans could have gone off to discover everything about technology while the other side shunned it. And the ones that went off to dis- to discover technology became the Borg, effectively. So, and and that would chime well with why then Rhonda calls Soji the the Seb Kchaneb, the Destroyer, because the Borgs always ended off assimilating for mm-hmm. them, but destroying other species, and yeah. um, taking their collective and adding it to the borg's own uh, but for for those species it was a destruction of their own culture and yeah. species um and so that's why she's called that it's not like she's some godly thing it's just that ultimately she will turn borg in a way or that might work. lean towards that that kind of um i suppose way of life for an advanced synthetic mm. There you go. Okay, yeah, there no, go. that'd be good. That's my that's my working that theory. That is a four. good theory. <laughs> Speaking of theories and notes and, and Easter eggs, stuff like that, is there anything that's popped out in this episode for you, John? I have I have one uh, quickly to begin with. Uh, just the joke, I suppose, from Narissa to uh, her brother Narek, where she says, I take it Soji is anatomically correct um, to, uh, to Narek after uh, waking him up in bed, effectively. I think that's a reference to the fact that Data was, uh, let's say, fully functional as a dan- as an android. Yes, um, which we learned in season one of the Next Generation. We had when he had that relationship with Tasha Yar. Um, so I'm wondering if ju- if it's just a little joke, just to just to show these are genuinely the offspring of Data. They're just as good as he is, I suppose, or just as well made as he is, I suppose. Yeah, I, that's that seems fair enough to me. <laughs> uh, we get to see two more holograms uh, aboard. Uh, Captain Rios's ship. Mm. We get the emergency tactical hologram who helps him um, do the the tactical strategy against this decrepit bird of prey yeah. who's speaking Spanish and is kind of um, that was really good. Just him him coming in and speaking in Spanish and yeah. only Spanish. Now you say he was helping him, but he just kind of went. He's attacking from the left, Captain. He's like, "What's about? What about you firing back? Isn't that what you're here for?" You know? <laughs> and then we got the emergency hospitality hologram, mm. um, which Rios doesn't really kind of like. But you know, this this hologram prepares a, an entire mock-up of um, Chateau Picard in space, mm-hmm. um, a holographic Chateau Picard, which I thought was pretty cool. What a great way to make sure your set is reused. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a holodeck set now. It's exactly the same set that we had on Earth. Um, oh, down, down to the letter, it's exactly the same. And <laughs> I, I really like that meeting between Rafi, Picard, Rios, 
and then Dr. Jurati trying mm-hmm. to insert herself into the conversation. Am um, I part of the crew now? Yeah, like exactly. <laughs> I, th- I just thought that was uh, really nice, um, nicely done. I, I felt it really just added a nice intimacy between Raffi and Picard, actually, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really good to see those characters together, isn't it? Because we're so used to seeing the crew of a ship on board having these kind of meetings in the ready room. Now we have them all meeting in Picard's new ready room, which is part of Chateau Picard. So it's kind of kind of cool having that floating out in space. One of the Easter egg, uh, the drink that Soji and uh, Narek are drinking is Romulan Ale. Um, well known for the shape of the bottle uh, for Star Trek fans. The only reason I know it is because Dr. McCoy gave a bottle of that to Captain Kirk in one of the uh, earlier Star Trek films uh, back in the 80s. And I remember seeing uh, seeing that scene where he's given him Roman ale. And I went back and saw that the actual bottle is exactly the same as the bottle that Narek and, and Soji are drinking out of. So uh, so nice little touches. In yeah, there. good touch. Yeah, because, you know, obviously everybody's going to be drinking Romulan ale on a Romulan vessel, of course. You know, they're not going to be ordering in beers or Chateau Picard wine. So, <laughs> Although that would be a nice little Easter egg in itself, a bottle of Chateau Picard on a Romulan base Romulan in a Borg ship. A Borg ship. <laughs> One of the things that kind of stood out in the episode is probably because when myself and my friends used to watch Star Trek The Next Generation, we always kind of joked about this idea that they got rid of cash and they got rid of all money on Earth to pursue better goals. Um, yet in the episode here, you hear Rios saying um, an easy way to get onto this planet is maybe a cash gift. You could buy your way onto the planet um, and you get a little smile from Picard. You know, it just seems odd because we've known for all of these years that Earth no longer has currency, no longer has any money at all. Um, there are some species that value money still, but Earthlings and Starfleet particularly don't value money at all. So it just seemed like an odd line to have in there that a cash gift would be used. I know it's just a joke. I just wanted to be slightly nerdy and pedantic for once. (laughs) Yes, that is quite nerdy and pedantic. (laughs) Hey, why not? Why not? We do a podcast about Star Trek. Absolutely. Might as well be nerdy and pedantic. Uh, Overall, John, what did you think of Star Trek Picard episode four? Why don't you be absolutely candid? I will. Again, I'm I'm kind of sticking with a the theme here. Um, I this is going to be another four out of five. Mm. I think this time it's four seven of nines out of five. So a lot of numbers uh, in, in my rating. I genuinely looked at your notes there and thought that said four seven of nuns. That would be a good one as well. <laughs> yes, but that would have to be the Quart Malat uh, mm. nuns, of course. Yes. Uh, I, I I loved this. I thought we got you know got that nice little space fight. Of course, everyone likes it when you get a bit of a standoff. Uh, in orbit around a planet, mm-hmm. um, you get the sword fight on um, on Vashti uh, between Picard and this former Romulan senator. And again, I, I'm really enjoying them exploring Picard's um, sort of mistakes, really, or you know his oversights that he's done. Where you know he says it himself uh, around you know by trying to you know the perfect became the enemy of the good um, that it, and for other people, then he hasn't done good. Um, you know, he's not liked here on Vashti anymore. Um, it, it's only with the nuns, with this um, uh, Quat Malat sect of, of, of nuns, because of that, you know, the the, the previous 14 years, when even Elnor is kind of, you know, uh, he, 
he's not seen him for that length of time. So there's kind of a, a feeling of hurt there. You know, Picard makes mistakes. Uh, and I like that they're exploring that. Mm. Um, uh, it's, it's really good. Obviously, we get Seven of Nine coming to the rescue as well, which is great. Um, And I'm I'm loving the whole Romulan, the immersion and and immersiveness of this, of of finding out more about Romulan society. Um, I I didn't really connect in with Soji and Narek here on this one uh, so much, but I think you have made me think about it differently uh, in in discussing it on the podcast. So, you know, I I think that's sort of better than what I thought it was to Mm, guys. Let's hope I'm right. (laughs) And I'm really, really glad um, that we um, have gotten a name for the ship that they are uh, traveling through space to, to get to Free Cloud. Uh, I, I I just love uh, again. I want to see more of Raffi a bit as mm-hmm. well. I definitely uh, want to see more of Raffi, but I'm warming to Rios. I really enjoyed him in this episode. Yeah, me too. Uh, same with Doctor Jurati, mm-hmm. uh, and of course we get Elnor, who will be the Star Trek hunk traveling <laughs> through time and hunkiness uh, to get to Free Cloud. But I like the fact that he's an assassin. Um, very cool. And again, just that whole thing around this this sect it's really interesting yeah absolutely he does have a, a tinge of a black-haired legolas to him doesn't he yeah that's true actually better Orlando bloom maybe yeah. not, maybe not a hunk as such but a bit of a pretty well, boy uh, who is able to kill people yes yeah yeah he's not like a he's not like a dwarf hunk but he's kind of <laughs> dwarf. yeah so he's not a gimli if we're taking lord of the rings and <laughs> he's not quite as delicate looking as he is i, I know what he means he's definitely got that elf-like quality mm. to him but there's a, a little bit more breadth to him i think yeah. than than that i think it's the pointy ears and the knives really that we're yeah exactly pointing it to um rios is the hunk right that depends on your type i suppose really very true but yeah he's kind of more rugged for those of you who like your captains hunkier and with more body hair mm. than, yes, or beards, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yes, Rios is the man for you, uh, for sure. So, Derek, what's your thoughts on episode four of Star Trek Picard? Overall, I liked it. I liked it much more the second time watching it. The first time through, I thought it was a little bit slow. And I think because we had that moment of engage, let's get on with this space mission last episode, I was expecting to get on to the space mission. Um not stop off for another passenger on the way, you know, but you have to bring this character on board because he is very important to to the mission that's going on. You need a Romulan, uh, of course, if you're going to be going up against the Romulans, you need one of them on your side if you're forming this ragtag group, you know. Uh, so it made a lot of sense why the character's on board there. But I think what propelled the episode overall and what I liked most about it really is this impression of how the world was left when Picard couldn't complete his mission because of Starfleet ordering him to step down and the effect that's had on these people and the effect that's had on Picard and the relationship he has as someone trying, just trying to do the right thing Um, and why he's so apologetic about it. It's not a mistake as such that Picard has made. It's he just expected everybody else thought like him and everybody else would let him come back out here and continue to save these people when actually times changed, political will changed and the attack on Mars stopped them from allowing him to go back out there. So, um, so I liked seeing that impact rather than hearing about it in some stories or in two or three lines of dialogue. I liked seeing it in an episode uh, once I watched it that second time. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, so really good overall. Let's get on to some feedback. We norm- we will be doing our feedback section at the end of the episode from now on. So if you want to send in your thoughts about any of the episodes to us, email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or come and join us on our group on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries. I put up a spoiler post just before the episode airs in the US each week and you can tell us your thoughts uh, as you watch the episode so we can discuss it on the podcast. Also, if you want to hear your voice, as John mentioned earlier on, you can go to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts about the episode, and we'll play it on the on the show. First up, we have a voicemail from the wonderful Steve Brown. Hey guys, it's Steve, and this is for The End is the Beginning. Was that it? Yeah. I watched it once. I'm going to watch it again. It's uh, It's been a, a tough couple of weeks for me. Um, but I, I want to agree with you. I'm listening to your podcast now, and... I uh, absolutely love the that fight scene. I did kind of worry a little bit. At the very beginning, it seemed like, and I think you guys started to key in on this before I, I decided to record this voicemail, um, it, it sounded like Patrick Stewart was almost breathing hard and like he was kind of hiding. And then all of a sudden, like halfway through the fight, he just gains this sort of weird energy and, and comes out uh, strong and fighting. So I was, I was kind of glad to see that, but at the same time, I was a little confused then it seemed that he started out kind of being kind of cowering there behind the desk and then seeing all those those guns that were under the desks and in you know in their holsters and stuff were, did, were they prepared because of what happened to dodge or do you think this is something that Loris and her husband have always had they've had, always had the chateau ready for any kind of invasion i thought that so i'd love to hear what you guys thought about that and also, I uh, loved seeing him at the very end with the whole engage thing. But where did um, Allison Pill, the the doctor, um, where did she get the gun that she used to shoot the Romulan with? Did she walk into a house and see a dead Romulan and pick up its rifle and then shoot another one? That just seemed – that seems a little like a stretch for me. For, for someone to do that, and, and I didn't get an explanation of that. Maybe when I watch it the second time, it'll make more sense how she got a hold of a gun that, uh, that one of those guys had. All right, uh, talk to you later. Thanks so much for that, Steve. I've got to look at that again, the fight that, uh, that with Lara Shaban and, and, and Picard. Um, I didn't notice that he was getting out of breath as he got to the table. I thought he was trying to reach there because that's where he had the weapon stashed effectively and he's kind of reaching underneath to get to the weapon. Um, as for why the place is kind of kitted out the way that it is, um, I have to give credit to another podcast I listened to for coming up with this Um because it makes lots of sense. Uh, I think it's a fantastic geek who do a, a Star Trek podcast as well. Um, they were talking about the fact that this is a very well-known person. Ambassador Picard has gone all over the universe making friends and enemies and is possibly a target. You know, it's, I know it's been 14 years since he retired or 13 years since he retired from Starfleet, but he could possibly have enemies. You know, instead of having Starfleet security officers minding his place 24 hours a day, perhaps... Lars and Jaban are his security officers, not just the people that help him on the farm. They are former yeah. Talshiar and they know what their business is about, but maybe they always expected an attack, firstly because it's him, and secondly because they're also on the run. They're also well, in hiding. So the that, two things together means he would need to be protected, and they need to make sure that if they are ever found by the Romulans, uh, they have a ways to protect themselves. Yeah, I mean, that, that was my kind of feeling, was that it was less about Picard other than them being a, a kind of 
in plain sight security kind of detail for him, mm. but it was more because they that's the only safe place for them to go. Yeah. And so at any moment, the Tal Shiar, not necessarily the Shad Vash or this black ops unit could come to, to take them out mm-hmm. um, because he is well known. So you would probably see them, you know, if he's getting TV interviews and, and so on. So yeah. it was the fact that the guns were there probably in case there was an attack by Romulans in order to try and, I don't know, kidnap Loris and Zaban or to kill them. Mm. So it, it was more that for me, I think. And I think that, I think you get that feeling from, um, the comics, the Star Trek Picard countdown, mm. that if they do this, they will be hunted forever. They will really be ostracized. So that, to me, was why the guns were loaded out throughout Chateau Picard. Yeah. And also, effectively, whilst not technically military, it's still within the military organization of Starfleet, even though it's an exploratory and research vessel um, in terms of the USS Enterprise. So Captain Picard has plenty of firearms knowledge and so there's no reason why he wouldn't have uh, a gun Um, and even though you know with all the different species and that it's not to say that the modern day or you know 2349 is safer might be safer on earth between humans but if you've got all these different rogue elements whether it's rogue synths um Mm -hmm underground parts of the Romulan Empire, different aspects of the Klingon Empire and all that, then it's a dangerous galaxy. Absolutely. Absolutely. As for Dr. Jurati and her having a gun when she comes into the house, ooh, this could be supporting your theory, John, that she is working for the opposition. Um, she comes in, saves the day as her kind of way into this group, maybe. Uh, comes in just the right moment, just at the time of the attack with the Romulan gun in her hand yeah. and shoot somebody like if you came upon a body that's outside and there's a gun sitting beside her would you pick up the gun naturally even if you heard shooting inside the house you know she doesn't sound like someone that does have the firearms training you're talking about doesn't sound like someone that, that would be their instant reaction to pick up a gun so interesting theories I, to you I, yeah i mean it, it's difficult isn't it i still think there's questions over her but i kind of just feel that in coming to Picard and with this fight going on, she ultimately arrived at the the wrong time, potentially. Or the right time. Or the right time. <laughs> but that, I don't know, one of the the black op, Romulan black ops was shot through the door and fell outside, so his gun's there. And I suppose, ultimately, you don't know how you would react, but you probably would cradle it um, to some degree okay. for your own protection right. take a gun I mean we, you see that in plenty of horrors right. and, and all that where they, they do they, they get some kind of weapon it's normally the kitchen knife to yeah. protect themselves so okay. I kind of just feel it was just maybe that instinctive element of, of protection you know fight or flight mm-hmm. but thanks so much Steve for the feedback uh, always good to, to hear your thoughts I know we've got another voicemail from Steve on episode 4 coming up in a minute uh, John do you want to take another piece of feedback first yeah 
Um, also on episode three, this time coming in through Facebook, uh, Bob Phillips says, one thing that never seems to change is just how beautiful the people of the future are, which is very good for Tally. <laughs> uh, well, I tell you, Bob, they get even more pretty in episode four. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bob continues. So we have the gang together, scientists and strategists, rebel and revolutionary, held by bounds of promise and correlated hopes, all secretly in awe of each other. Good mix for the adventure ahead. Alongside that, we find Soji is unaware of her synth status and that the Picard universe has Jung at its core. Not a hardcore Trek fan, so is this new or has it always been about symbol and myth? My recollection is that Troy came more from a cognitive behavioral standpoint. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely she, um, you know, she was an empath. Um, and I think, uh, there was even telepaths in, in other, uh, episodes yeah. as well. Yeah. So that there is definitely this cognitive behavioral element here, uh, to this world or for certain species, uh, within the Star Trek world. I think it's not new. And I don't think symbol and myth is either. I mean, just in terms of the different symbols for like Romulan Empire, Klingon Empire, Vulcans, as well as Starfleet. Um, you know, there's those hardcore symbols, but I, I think there's always been an element of the, the, the myths, um, and, and symbolic meaning around different things, um, in Star Trek. Certainly when you had the Q episodes where he was talking about those, that, those cultural myths and, and symbols that yeah. are in such plain sight that you've almost forgotten about them or you don't know how to interpret them. And that mm-hmm. was always the challenge he was giving to Picard, I think. Absolutely. Um, and there'll certainly be certain races as well. You know, if everybody from the Klingons to the Bajorans, everybody has their own myths and legends and their own uh, symbolism as well. So, um, so it would make sense that the Romulans have their own symbolism that we've not heard of before and they have their own myths or their own news, as they called it last episode, their own kind of ways of dealing with the world that they've come up with, the way they've evolved. Um, and it, it makes sense that since we've never seen much of that side of the Romulans before, that it's a good thing to see in this show, since we're seeing all the other sides of this culture of of, uh, of the Romulans. So, uh, so it makes a lot of sense to bring that in. Yeah, and Bob finishes out with, oh, and I really liked the trailer home of the future <laughs> and vaping weed equivalent snake plant straight off the bush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I must say, in presumably a world of, um, uh, in what, 2349, maybe around... Um, I don't know, it could be 20 billion. We're at about nine at the moment, mate. The, uh, I kind of like the isolation of, uh, Rafi's trailer location. Mm. Um, and, uh, yes, the, the, the vaping straight off the bush, uh, seems like a, a kind of an, you know, if you had the money and you could just relax in the Vasquez, uh, rocks, um, you could just relax and, Enjoy a few Chateau Picards in, in the baking sun. Yeah, I think this is more to do with the fact that she doesn't have the money, so she's growing this snake plant. Uh, oh, so she's a drug dealer? Is she's that what we're addict. saying? Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's addicted to snake weed. 
uh, and this is why she lives out here. There have been a few jokes about the fact that her trailer home of the future, as you call it, Bob, is sitting on Vasquez Rocks, because Vasquez Rocks apparently is only about 10 minutes from downtown Los Angeles. It's very close to the city of Los Angeles. It's not okay. this open so It's not as isolated area. as I was thinking. No, okay. no. Apparently the reason why it's used as a filming location is it has been used so many times by people in L.A., um, for filming movies and filming TV shows many times for Star Trek, of course, uh, as we mentioned before. The, the reason why it's used is because it's so close to the city, but looks like it's far away. Um, so, uh, so she's actually living in a national park. Um, at this time <laughs> so uh, maybe that's where all her money went and that's why she has to live in this trailer trash home if it's good trailer trash <laughs> I, I don't think she's very proud of her home she's not no i know she's it. not but <laughs> it looked like all things with the future even the crapola stuff mm-hmm. is probably wi-fi'd up to the max Possibly, and probably yeah. pretty good yeah well insulated, keeps the rain off. It depends on perspective, doesn't it? We saw that in, in Birds of Prey, that moment when one of the characters walks into Harley Quinn's apartment and she goes, I know it's a bit of a crap hole. And the other character's like, no, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah this place is dope. Yeah, so, you know, one person's crap is another person's amazing trailer home in the future. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much, uh, Bob, for the feedback. Keep it coming on in. Really good to, to get your thoughts uh, always on point. There you go. Thank you so much, Bob. Yeah, we've got our other voicemail in from Steve Brown on episode four, this episode that we've been talking about. Hello, TV Podcast Industries. This is Steve, and this is for the most recent episode of Picard. Absolute candor. Uh, love love that title and the tie-in with the whole nuns thing. And uh, just a couple of quick, quick notes, because I only watched it once, and I've got to watch it again. But uh, I'm really excited for that ending. Uh, we finally get Jerry Ryan. We get seven or nine. I uh, She's the reason that I love Voyager. She's... Uh, I just love the actress and everything I've seen her in since then. So I'm so excited that she's finally joined the series and hope she stays for several episodes. But uh, in this particular, in this episode, I really like this new character, Elnor. I like the, the background he has with Picard and I'm, uh, uh, the great fighting skills that he has. And of course, we got our Picard speech that, uh, I don't know. Have we gotten a, a real, full Picard speech in this series yet. Uh, I don't remember. Anyway, uh, talk to you later. Thanks, Steve. I know how excited you've been to see Seven back on screen, so it's great to have her in the show. It does make sense that they had to get off Earth and get out into space before they see her. So um, so I'm intrigued to see how much or how, how big she's going to play in the show. I hope she's in the show for the rest of the season because she is a character I absolutely loved on Voyager as well. So really excited to see her back as well. Um, Elder's backstory, yeah, intrigued to see this character that knows Picard from many years ago now coming back and having to live in Picard's world now. It, it could be very interesting. It sounds like he's never left the planet. You know, there's that moment where he's talking about Data having the ginger cat spot and he's never seen a cat in his life. And then we find out later he hasn't left for 14 years from this planet that he was only supposed to be there for a few months, it sounded like. So... um all of the things that he will be experiencing uh, as he goes out into the universe will be very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing this character, to be honest. Um, mm. I just like the idea of the the dynamic between him and Picard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it almost feels like, you know, we're talking about him, this father figure of Picard, but almost then, you know, he feels abandoned. Uh, that's why he has that moment for me where he says he wouldn't bind his sword to Picard's uh, 
cause. Um, you know, he, he says, Lion, you left me, old man. I see no reason not to do the same to you. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that, you know, that's telling of, uh, he does feel betrayed. He feels abandoned, probably. Um, and I, I'm glad that he, he, he comes around, uh, because ultimately the cause is worthy in accordance with their kind of, uh, criteria yeah. and, and the creed of the Croat Milat. But you're seeing people that, still have loyalty to Picard, yet he's not been the easiest person for them to deal with mm-hmm. or how he has impacted their life. And I, I, I like that. I, I like that dynamic yeah. uh, in this series for sure. But definitely great. I mentioned it earlier on. One of my favorite moments in the episode is Picard's speechifying. It's, it's really good to see him back on forum and being that diplomatic character that when he's surrounded by a group. Yeah, really good to see that. And finally, we have another piece of feedback from Bob Phillips. What have we learned, he says. There's still nothing worse than being a saint dehaloed unless you annoy the aforementioned saint samurai pal and end up decapitated. And that Romulans do not have the sorts of sibling relationships we would consider healthy. And beyond space, stars, holodecks and hot tea, there is still a delight to be had in sliding along a polished floor in your stockinged feet. Thank you so much, Bob. Yes, I'm loving the Saint Dehaloed uh, with Picard, but certainly uh, it's great to have um, an assassin to come to your aid. But again, I loved the fact that he was like, Elnor, what are you doing? Please, can you just stop with the killing? I am former Starfleet on a mission of peace kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The two Romulan siblings are very close indeed uh, at times. But again, willingness to uh, to strangle uh, one of your siblings is also not something you would consider the proper sibling relationship, really, would you? No, absolutely. And to be honest, I hadn't really thought of it along the lines of the joy of sliding in socks uh, across a polished floor. That is quite good yeah doing the kind of um the cool slide yes (laughs) well i remember doing it as a kid but i'm just not too sure whether it was necessary in the episode itself yeah maybe not (laughs) thanks so much for that bob and for your other feedback and thanks so much to steve as well absolutely thanks so much uh to steve and bob for their feedback it's really good uh fellow trekkers and trekkies please keep on bringing it in for Star Trek Picard uh, for all the episodes so far on obviously next episode, episode five. But I think I hear the clinking of glasses Mm. and the pouring of Romulan ale from distinctive uh, bottles. Yes, it is time for the 10 Forward pub quiz. And this week's pub quiz question is, what earth book does Picard give to Elnor on his visit to Vashti 14 years previously? Ooh, very good. Yes. yes. Yeah, very important in the episode as well. There's lots of, lots of references after the book is revealed, let's say. Yes, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> um, so remember, send in your, your answers to the pub quiz by email. Uh, you can send them one at a time or all at once. I think the next episode we have now pretty much, uh, sort of cornered down the prizes. Mm-hmm. So we will give you a full rundown of the prizes available to the winner who gets the most number of questions right from the pub quiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will, of course, be uh, doing that on our final episode uh, of the of this series, which yes. will be our feedback episode. It'll be a wrap-up episode at yes. the end uh, after the 10th episode of Picard is released. John, give him the question one last time. Yes, the... 
What earth book does Picard give to Elnor on his visit to Vashti 14 years previously? Excellent. That's it for our discussion of episode four of Star Trek Picard. If you fancy a little bit more Picard in your life, a brand new novel came out this week, Star Trek Picard, The Last Best Hope by Dr. Una McCormick. Um, I was reading it this week. I'm up to about chapter five so far. It's a really interesting one. It actually feels like they've novelized a season of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, leading into Picard. It's a lot of diplomatic negotiations, for example, lots of plans for saving everybody um set around the time of the of the Romulan supernova. So it set that fourteen years ago. So um lots of the characters that we've met in the show so far, Rafi's in there, um Admiral Clancy is in there as a lieutenant back in the day. So we get a lot of those kind of, that, that kind of connection. We have Jordan LaForge is in there building the ships and in Mars. We have Bruce Maddox in there. So, um, so there's some really interesting, intriguing stuff in there. Some people in my mind now have been taken off the table as possible bad guys. Um, I know we, we suspect everybody, uh, but some people have been taken off the table after reading their backstory. Ah, okay. So, um, so have, have a, have a read of it. Uh, if you want to buy it through Amazon, you can head over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com slash Picard Candor. have a link in there for you and you can go and buy it from Amazon. Thanks so much for joining us. Please stay subscribed to the podcast. And, and if you enjoy what you hear, you can share it with your friends because sharing the podcast is sharing the love. It is Valentine's Day after all. I hope you spent the day with someone that you love, even if that person that you love is yourself. Because as RuPaul famously says, if you don't love yourself, how can you love anybody else? Exactly. <laughs> I'll get an amen in here. There you go. <laughs> exactly was not the answer. <laughs> amen. Of course, as well as sharing the podcast, there are many ways you can support us. You can rate us, leave a review. And of course, we are available uh, over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TV podcast industries. If you want to subscribe to us there and um, the opening entry price is $1. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to be doing... Um Penny Dreadful. I'm going to be doing a recap of Penny Dreadful over on our Patreon group. Those podcasts will eventually come out on our main feed on TV Podcast Industries. But if you want to get them first, pop on over to Patreon. You should get the first episode of that uh, next week, I think. Yes. Yeah, really looking forward to starting Penny Dreadful. Uh, but after that, we'll be back to Star Trek Picard with episode five, Stardust City Rag, next week. Thanks so much for joining us. Bye-bye, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. Keep watching the stars. Yes, thanks for joining us, fellow Trekkies and Trekkers. It's a pleasure uh, for us to discuss all things Star Trek uh, with you. Um, remember to greet everyone with Yolan True. And after that, keep watching, keep listening, and of course, engage. And have a Romulan ale. You deserve it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>